if you've been tracking with us, you know that Chris has been leading us through the life of David in the Old Testament. And so today, uh, we're going to turn the corner into the New Testament, and we're going to talk about Jesus, who's called the Son of David. So many of you know today is Palm Sunday. This is the day that, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem and kicked off uh, just a week of just an action-packed week, a lot of just amazing things and amazing teaching and events that happened during what we would call Holy Week between Palm Sunday and Easter. Um, so you, we could read all through that in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You might want to read a, a Holy Week devotional this week that would kind of take you through all that. But before we get to the resurrection and the celebration next week, we have to go to the cross. Uh, before Jesus experienced that final victory, he had to suffer And he had to die. So whether you've been in church a long time or if today maybe your first time you come to a church gathering, uh, ever visited a church, you probably know Jesus died on the cross. That's one of the most basic, one of the most fundamental truths in the story of Christianity. It's also, for a lot of people, one of the most misunderstood now, I grew up in church. I, I, I grew up in a, a, a good church that my family got us involved in in Pensacola, Florida. And I was there every time anything was going on. I mean, there was Sunday school. There was vacation Bible school. There were camps. There were events, Wednesday nights, choirs, all, I mean, the whole nine yards. I was part of that. When I was a teenager, I was involved in everything that we did. We, we went on trips and retreats and every Wednesday night and college, I I got involved in a small group and got involved in a church there and was reading the Bible every day. And I mean, I was in, okay? I've I've been in my whole life. I didn't really have a choice when I was a kid, but but I've I've been in. But when I was 22, I remember having this, this nagging question about one of the most basic fundamental things about the Christian faith. And I sat down with a youth pastor and and asked him this question. Here was my question. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Maybe you've had that question. Maybe you haven't. Uh, he, he, he looked at me and he was like, are, are you kidding me? Like, this is one of the most basic things. You've been here. You know all the, all the stories. You probably know most of the answers by now, or you should. Uh, but when it came to arguably the most important event in the history of the world, I was kind of fuzzy on why was that actually necessary. Yes, I knew that Jesus died for our sins. I knew that in the Old Testament, there was a sacrificial system and people would sacrifice animals and, and that kind of provided like a covering. And, and, and then Jesus died and no more animals had to be sacrificed because he was the final sacrifice. Like I got some of those things, but, but still, why was this necessary? Why the cross? Here's the heart of it. Why didn't God just forgive us? Why, did, why was that step necessary? Why couldn't God just, just snap his fingers and make our sins go away? Let me ask you this, thinking about the David series that we just been through. Isn't that kind of what he did with David? Think about David. He, he, he had a lot, of, a lot of good things, a lot of, a lot of great run uh, with God. And then he's not where he's supposed to be. He, he gives into temptation He calls a married woman into him. He sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. He murders her husband to cover it up. I mean, this is pretty serious. And then what happens? The prophet Nathan comes in and he says, God's put away your sin. God forgives you for doing this. Now, even by the Old Testament law, David should have been killed for this. He should have paid 
with his life. So God forgave him. There, there were consequences, but, but he didn't pay with the consequences that he should have. God forgave him. So why can't God do that for you? Why can't God do it for me? Why did Jesus die? Why was the cross really necessary? What about us? Think about yourself. Uh, do you honestly believe, and do I honestly believe, that we've done something that would require Jesus going and suffering the way he did and bleeding and, and, and having the crown of thorns on his head, being nailed to a cross and dying a, a excruciating death? Is that really necessary for the sin that you've committed or I've committed? I mean, we've done some things wrong. We've broken God's law. But, but is that really necessary for what we've done? Why did God make his son go through this. Let's think about it like this, okay? This, this string here, this represents a scale of righteousness, okay? So if you think about righteousness, now that's kind of a, a Bible word, a church word. We don't use a lot, but it's, it's really important, and we'll look at this today. You'll see a, a little bit of an explanation on the screen of right moral character, and, and that's correct. That's part of it, but it goes beyond that to a right standing in a relationship, especially that with God. So if we have a right standing with God, then we would, we would also have behavior in our life that goes along with that. Okay, so that's the right standing with God and the behavior appropriate to that right standing. So if this is a scale of righteousness, so God would be over here. Okay, this microphone stand. Are we going to rehook up here? Mike, Mike gave me a, uh, a new battery, and I don't know where he got it. He's going to need a whole new pack. So Can I just undo this? Oh, it won't. Different... This pack won't fit here. They good? <laughs> check, check. You guys hear that? Hey, all right. Okay, so what? Just this work all right? All right. I'm just going to stick this in my pocket. All right. If this fails, I'll just shout, okay? Second service, wheels off, okay. Okay, so righteousness scale. Let's think about this as a right. This, is, this represents God's righteousness over here. This would represent everything anti-God and his righteousness, okay? So no moral purity, uh, just, just evil, everything anti-God, and everything just, that's just not in a right standing with him, okay? Now, I'm going to need a volunteer to, to help uh, with this next part. Probably somebody over here, because you're going to be right up here, maybe on the, the front row here. Uh, sure, Nick, you'll do. Come on up. Let's give Nick a hand. <clears throat> Now, um, let's tell everybody your name. I just did, but go ahead and tell everybody your name. Hi, my name is Nick. Uh... <laughs> That's enough. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Nick, have, have you and I ever met before? Yes. Just say no. Say no. I mean, no. No. Never. Okay. All right. So we didn't set anything up here. Okay. So Nick's going to help us out. Here, here's what we're going to do. This is going to be a little bit of an audience participation. Okay. So Nick, I'm going to give you these. You can go stand right over there by the, the righteousness pole. Okay. I'm going to show you guys some pictures of fairly well-known people. And what you're going to do, this is, this is audience participation, so you're going to call out 
the name if you recognize who this person is. Most of these are, are, are pretty well-known people, okay? So you guys understand? Yes, okay. yes. Are you ready to participate, audience? Yes. yes. Thank you. Okay. So this first one, as soon as I show you the picture, and you'll see it on the screen, if you recognize who it is, call it out, okay? Ready? Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Okay. So I'll go ahead and help you out, Nick. So, <laughs> so on, the, on this first one, and this is going to get more and more tricky for you, okay? All right. You ready for that? Yeah. All right. So I think most of us would say, if there's anybody who we know in our lifetime who has represented righteousness and would be, okay, he's not going to be like touching God's righteousness. He's not like Jesus, okay? But he's pretty far down on this end of the scale, okay? He would be in a right standing with God and, and his his life, his behavior would be characteristic of being in that right standing, okay? So if you would clip this picture of Billy up over here so everybody can see that. Very good. Nick, well done. Passing so far. Okay. A little bit more, a little bit trickier as we, as we go on here. You ready for this next one? Yeah. <laughs> Marilyn Manson. Okay. So now I would say that Marilyn Manson, uh, if you don't know a lot about him, you can, you can Google him. It's, it's a little bit dated. We were talking a little earlier this week, but you know, I looked it up and he's actually got an, a new album that's coming out. He's halfway through it. So just kind of keep your eyes and ears open for that. It'll be released uh, later this year. He's still on tour, so you can still catch him. But I think Marilyn Manson, we can pretty safely put all the way over there or pretty far over there. And, and I don't feel too bad about that because I think if Marilyn were here, I don't know him personally, but I think he would say, I don't want to be associated with Billy Graham. I don't want to be associated with God. Whatever your, your scale is, I want to be as far away from them as possible. And we would say he's not in right standing with God. So, Nick, you can decide somewhere over there. Okay. All right. Now, this one you're going to have to place. Okay. Oh boy. You guys can help him out. Okay. You can help him out. But as soon as you recognize this person, you shout out the name. Okay. <laughs> Oprah. Okay. Here you go, Nick. You can get some, some help if you need it. I mean, I think she's pretty righteous. I don't know. It's, it's up to you. Where do you want to put her? Nick, you be your own man. You be your own man. Just take their help and you make a decision. <laughs> All right, so there's a, there's a few happy people, a little bit of, little bit of controversy in the room. Um, and I, I don't know. But, but hey, I mean, she's spiritually minded. She talks about Jesus some, that kind of thing. Okay, so this last one is maybe even more difficult. Ready? You make a choice, Nick. <laughs> now, now, let's keep in mind, Nick, uh, Nick is one of our interns here at the church. And was one of our interns as of, as of this morning. Um, so just, just keep that in mind. Make one final decision. Okay, where would you put? Is everybody more happy with that? All right, let's give Nick a hand. Good job. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> Now, we would argue about this, you know, who, who's on this end, who's on that end, where does everyone fit? Here's what I want to ask you to think about. I'm not going to ask you to put yourself physically up here, but where would you see yourself on this scale? Would you see yourself...
closer down to this end, you think, hey, I'm, you know, pretty good relationship with God, and, and, you know, I'm pretty righteous, and would you see yourself more over here? You're not really sure. You're kind of in the middle. Um, where do you think God would put you on this scale, and, and why? Now, this may or may not surprise you, but I would say that God has a scale, too, and it's directly related to that question that we raised about why Jesus had to die. So we, we could share our opinions back and forth all morning uh, and probably have a lot of fun with that. But what we want to do is what we do every week uh, here at New Life and look at God's word and what does he say about this and how can he help us with, with this question of this righteousness scale and where we fit and then why ultimately Jesus had to go to the cross. Okay, so if you have a Bible with you, if you'd open it up to Romans chapter 3. That's where it'll be today, Romans Chapter 3, that's in the New Testament, uh, way to the far right in your Bible, uh, or if you're on your app, just keep scrolling. Uh, it's just after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, and then Romans. Now, uh, uh, as you're turning there, quick context. Uh, Romans is written by uh, the Apostle Paul, so he's the one that started a whole bunch of churches in the New Testament. You can read all about that, and the story of it in Acts, and then a lot of his letters are in here. This is one of those letters, so it's called Romans because he's writing to the Romans, the church in Rome, the Christians in Rome. So there's a church there. He's never met them, and he's writing this long letter that's detailing the gospel, the good news about Jesus. Now, keep in mind, he's writing a letter to Christians about the gospel. They're already Christians. They're already disciples of Jesus. So if we have this attitude like, yeah, I know Jesus died for our sins, and, and, and the gospel, that's like step one, and I'm on like step eight. Well, Paul didn't see it that way. He thought, I need to write a long letter to people who are already following Jesus to help them understand really what it is that Jesus has done. So I think there's something for all of us here, whether you're not a Christian, uh, whether you've walked with Jesus for a little bit of time or for a lifetime, uh, there, there's some great stuff for all of us here. So in the first part of this letter, the first couple of chapters, Paul has been detailing what we would call really bad news for us, that God's wrath is coming on unrighteousness. And that can be totally non-religious people, that can be somewhat spiritual type people, that can be very religious people. It doesn't matter. He's saying that God's judgment is coming for everyone, and that's the case he's been making so far in the first part of this letter. That's where we'll pick up in Romans 3, starting in verse 9. Look at it with me. He starts with a question. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off so meaning that the Jews who have the law, the, the Jews who were more religious, were they any better off than the Greeks, the non-Jewish, the non-religious people? He answers that question with a string of quotes from the Old Testament. No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So who's righteous? No one. Who really gets it? No one. Who seeks after God in and of themselves? Nobody. Who's turned aside? He says, all. All. Who does good? He says again, in case you didn't get it, no one, not even one person, not even one. So God has a righteousness scale, but it looks a little bit more like this. Nick, come on up here. You're not done yet. Don't get too comfortable. 
If this represents God's righteousness, if you would take that as far as you can that way. Just keep going. Just, just keep going to the back of the room. Just kind of go back towards the back corner back there. There you go. Just keep going. Keep going on the way to the door. Okay, now what I want you to do, we've got a GoPro uh, on that, and so Nick is going to take this, go all the way into the parking lot, and you're going to see a mountain peak, okay? <laughs> I want you to go to that mountain peak and get to the top. You, okay, you can, come, you can come back and, and, and come to your seat. You guys, you guys get the point. You get the point. That wouldn't even be far enough, would it? That, that God's righteousness, it's not even on our scale. It's not even part of, of how we think. It's not even on our planet. Nick, thank you so much. You can put that down. Let's give him a hand. We have to see that on God's scale, we are all in the same boat. We're apart from Christ. Billy Graham was a better person probably than anybody in this room and probably than anybody you've ever known. He was a better person, but he's in the same boat apart from Christ, as everyone else, including you and including me. Paul goes on in verse 13. Read with me as he, as he talks about everyone. He says, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So Paul's explaining, he's, he's saying, you Jewish believers and Roman Christians, you're no better off than your pagan Roman neighbors. You're all under sin. You might have God's law, but you're not righteous. All the law is going to do is prove that. It's going to shut your mouth, and it's going to prove you don't have any righteousness when it comes to being in God's presence. So if you've attended New Life for 15, 20 years, or if you've been here for the first time today, you've been here for 20 minutes it doesn't matter. If you've read the Bible your entire life, or if you're not even really sure what's going on here in the story and where Romans is in your Bible, it doesn't matter. We are in the exact same situation, all of us. We're in a pile on the ground, and the righteousness of God is a million miles away. Now, aren't you glad you came to church this morning <laughs> so you could be encouraged and feel good about yourself? Hang in there, there's good news coming. But if, if we don't really grasp the bad news, we don't hear the good news. It doesn't have that effect on us unless we really understand. So before we move on, I want, I want to give you the first of three big truths about righteousness, that right standing with God. Three big truths about righteousness that we'll make this morning. First one is this. God requires it, and you ain't got it. God requires it, you ain't got it, neither do I. Now, in case you haven't picked up on it, this is what we would call infinitely bad news, that, that if the Roman Christians are hearing Paul correctly, and if, if we're getting what he says, we should recognize we are in an absolutely helpless and hopeless state before God. If that's how you feel when you've 
read this and, and, and just kind of struggled with what Paul's saying here, if that's how you feel, then you get it. You get it, and you're ready to hear the good news. And then the next verse, verse 21, starts with the most wonderful two words that we could hear at this point in what Paul's saying. The most wonderful two words, but now. But now. He's saying there's a loophole, there's a way out of this hopeless situation. That If you circle any two words in your Bible, circle these two words, but now. Here's, here's the, good, the good news coming, verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So remember, he had just said the law was going to prove that, that none of you are righteous. And it's going to shut the mouth of anyone who tries to say that they are. But the righteousness that's from God has now been manifested or, or revealed or made known. And it's separate from the law. It doesn't have to do with obeying the law. It's separate from that. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22 the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So where does that righteousness come from? It comes from God himself. How do we get it? By faith in Jesus Christ. Who's it for? All who believe. All who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, that was a really long sentence. Uh, Paul has lots of run-on sentences like that, and it had a lot of thick Bible words in it. Um, so I mentioned to Chris I was going to need two hours for this message, and he said, second service doesn't matter, that's fine. He said, no, he said, talk fast. Um, so real, real quick, Paul, is, he's emphasizing again, no one is righteous, He's saying all have sinned, all fall short. How can we get this other righteousness that, we've that, that we can receive as a gift? Look back in verse 24 where it's this word justified. Now that's a word we don't use a lot, but it's so critical to understand in the New Testament and in Romans in particular. Justified, just think of it as being a, a, a declaration of righteousness, the being declared as being righteous. Okay, you may not be righteous, but you can be declared righteous. Righteous. Think of a, a courtroom setting. So if you're condemned, the opposite of that would be being declared righteous, being declared to be in right standing. So if God is the ultimate judge, it amounts to you and me being in his courtroom, hearing all the evidence against us, condemning us as sinners, and we have nothing to say, our mouths are closed, and then God raises his gavel, and before he brings it down, he stops and he says, you're righteous. God declares us righteous. I don't know about you, I'm taking that deal. I'm saying, how do I get it? How much does that cost? What do I have to do? And Paul says, we can be justified, we can be declared righteous by God's grace, his unmerited favor, his blessing that we didn't earn as a gift. Now, how can God offer that? How can he just declare us righteous through no action of his own? Here's how through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, in verse uh, 24. Redemption is another one of those words. Uh, we'll put a little definition on the screen. It's, it's, uh, it's liberation or rescue by, by the payment of a price. And so it, it was a word that was used of, of prisoners of war. Uh, it was used of slaves on the auction block. It was used of a condemned criminal that if a certain price was paid, they could be liberated. They could be rescued 
from their state. So that's another way to see just how desperate our situation is and what it is that Jesus has done for us. Then one last big word. We'll, we'll have this on the screen as well. Propitiation. Uh, the, the basic idea of propitiation, your Bible might say uh, sacrifice of atonement. That's another way uh, to, to translate this. Uh, it's an appeasement or a satisfaction. It's, it's a sacrifice that, that averts God's wrath. So the, 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 the picture is you know, Jesus is, is on the cross and God's wrath comes down on, on me, on me, a sinner. And, it, and it's righteous wrath. It's right for God to bring his wrath on me for my sin. But Jesus is on the cross averting God's wrath from me and taking it onto himself. He's that wrath-averting sacrifice of God's righteous anger. He's the substitute in my place if I have faith in him, if I have faith in Jesus. And Paul says this gift is to be received by faith, trusting in him and what he's done to satisfy the wrath of God, which we all deserve. So let's put it back together, uh, at the, uh, the, starting at the end of verse 22. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption or the liberation, the rescue that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a sacrifice that turned away his wrath by his blood, by Jesus' blood, to be received by faith. It's not by what I do. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by being on the right end of the scale of righteousness. It's not about keeping some kind of moral code, whether I make it up or I get it from somewhere else. It's not about being religious. It's by faith is how we access this, this free gift. So truth number one about righteousness was that God requires it. You ain't got it. Neither do I. Truth number two about righteousness is this. God freely gives it to all who trust in Christ. God freely gives it to all who trust in Christ. It doesn't come any other way but by his grace through faith in Jesus. Now let's look at one final piece and circle back to the question we started with. Why did Jesus have to die? Paul answers this directly, picking back up in verse 25. Romans 3, verse 25. This, so referring back to, to God putting Jesus forward as that, as that sacrifice that averted his wrath, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness, his righteousness, God's righteousness, at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, there's a major, major problem here in this passage. The problem is what God did, that he had passed over former sins. Your, your version might say he passed over sins previously committed. Now, think back to, to the, the David story. Think about his, his adultery, his murder, his abuse of power. And Nathan comes in and Nathan tells him, the Lord has put away your sin." You are not going to die. Why not? I'm sorry, but when I read that, I just think that that's not right. That, think about Uriah's family. Think about Bathsheba's family. Think, think about all the things that are wrong and what happened there. And in Psalm 103, verse 10, David says this. He says, he does not deal with us according to what our sins deserve or repay us according 
to our iniquities. Well, you might say, what's the problem with that? He's God, right? He's, he's love. He's merciful. What, why, why is that a problem? The problem is that God is supposed to be the righteous judge. God is supposed to be the very standard of what is just, the very standard of what's right. And if the righteous judge doesn't do what he needs to do in, in relation to sin, that's a problem. Think about it in these terms, okay? Um, Nick's still in the room with us. Um, Nick, the good news for, his, for you is you can stay right where you are, okay? The bad news is it's going to get a lot worse for you, okay? Now, let's say that after the service, we dismiss, and our security team, our, our awesome security team, they're hanging out their badges, and they're heading out too, and then in these nice flower beds with the new mulch and the new plants, uh, a guy jumps out, he jumps Nick, and, and I don't want to get graphic, okay, there's kids in here, but let's just, it's just not pretty, okay? And, and Nick, I'm sorry, but, but you die, okay? Yeah. Oh, you didn't see that one coming, did you? Yeah. So, so, so Nick dies, and we go to court. We're, we're all witnesses, so we go into the court, and, and, and the murderer is there, and, and he confesses. He says, yeah, judge, I, I did that. I'm, I'm not going to going to hide that. I know it was wrong, and I'm really sorry. Judge, I, I've, I've never hurt anybody before. I'm usually really nice to people. I mean, I, I, I pay for people behind me in the drive-thru sometimes, and I recycle, you know. I, I, I try to do what I can do, but I, I just kind of went crazy for a minute, and, and I'm really sorry, and, and I won't do that again. And the judge looks at the murderer, and he says, you know what? That's okay, and I believe you. You're forgiven, you're free to go. Now, what would we say about that judge? We would say that judge doesn't belong in his position. That judge needs to be thrown off the bench. That judge is not delivering justice. He's not doing what's right, and that's exactly the charge that God would be open to if he did not, as the righteous judge of the universe, punish sin. It's a major problem that he does not treat us as our sins deserve. But God did pour out his wrath. God did punish sin, and he poured it out on his only son on the cross. Because of what Jesus did for us, we get to choose whether we take the punishment for our sins or whether Jesus does on the cross. And that's how God can be both just and the justifier. He can be the perfect, righteous judge who handles sin perfectly, every single sin that's ever been committed, and he can say about sinners like you and me, that person's righteous. Because there was a payment for sin. Jesus paid for it with his life, and God is not open to that charge. God is love. God is merciful, but that's not all that he is. If, if he declared sinners righteous purely on the basis of his love, he would not be just. He would not be holy. And that's why Jesus had to die. That's why the cross was necessary. The love of God and the justice of God come together in perfect harmony on the cross, and they're on full display. So truth number one about righteousness was that God requires it. We don't have it. Truth number two, God freely gives it to all who trust in Christ. And truth number three, the cross proves God is just in giving it. The cross proves God is just in giving it. 
God did not sweep David's sin under the rug. He doesn't sweep yours away either. He doesn't sweep mine away. He offers to put it squarely on the shoulders of his one and only son, Jesus, on the cross, and it's dealt with fully and finally for those who trust in him. And that's why we come here every week and we praise him. We sing songs about Jesus, not songs about ourselves, not songs about how great we are and how righteous we are. That's why we're singing to him. So why did Jesus die? What was the cross about? It was about our righteousness, and it was about God's glory, God's name being praised, him being vindicated as, as the perfect, holy, righteous judge of the universe, that he does deal with sin, and he also loves and extends mercy to sinners. He's both just and the justifier of all who have faith in Jesus. Now, as we close, what do we do with this passage? Uh, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you're a disciple, you've trusted in him, you've received that gift of his righteousness, uh, out of dozens of things that we could say from, the, from this incredible passage, two things that I, I would say for, for those of us who, who know Christ. First, rest. Rest in your righteous standing before God. What, what difference does this make for us tomorrow? Let's say that tomorrow morning uh, you wake up and, and let's say that you wake up in a bad mood, okay? Purely hypothetically, okay? It's probably never going to happen for anybody in this room, but you don't read your Bible, you, you speak harshly to someone in your house, you cut somebody off on the road, you, you bomb something at, at work or in school. If you have a day like that, how does this truth from Romans 3 make a difference? Well, I want to read to you from this, this short little book um, that's it's by Milton Vincent. It's called A Gospel Primer for Christians. He's writing a book about the gospel, the good news of Christ, to Christians, to people who have already received that good news uh, but need a lot of good reminders. And um, here's what he says about resting. He says this, The gospel encourages me to rest in my righteous standing with God, a standing which Christ himself has accomplished and always maintains for me. I never have to do a moment's labor to gain or maintain my justified status before God. Freed from the burden of such a task, I now can put my energies into enjoying God, pursuing holiness, and ministering God's amazing grace to others. The gospel also reminds me that my righteous standing with God always holds firm regardless of my performance because my standing is based solely on the work of Jesus and not mine. On my worst days of sin and failure, the gospel encourages me with God's unrelenting grace towards me. On my best days of victory and usefulness, the gospel keeps me relating to God solely on the basis of Jesus' righteousness and not mine. Isn't that wonderfully freeing? I mean, and this, doesn't that just make you want to obey God? Doesn't that make you love him and be so thankful for the gift that he's given us and, and that our righteous standing with God is secured not by us, not by what a good day we have today, not by what a good day we have tomorrow, not by how much we obey him tomorrow. It's secured by Jesus and his perfect life and the fact that he died and paid that ransom for us to bring us into that right standing with God, it's not based on me and what I do. It's not based on how good 
you are today or tomorrow. So you can rest in that right standing. Now, the resting doesn't mean that we're lazy. It doesn't nullify obedience. It doesn't nullify God's command. But our status, our standing is secure no matter what. It's eternally secure in Christ. And we can walk in obedience to God out of gratitude, freely, confidently, joyfully, as we live out our faith. So if you're a Christian, rest in your righteous standing before God and remember that Jesus has already secured it. So actively, daily, remembering that right standing. We need to remember because we're so prone to forget. On one hand, when we fail, we beat ourselves up and and we, we feel like our right standing, we're on shaky ground with God. We need to remember it's based on Jesus' work, not ours, as we just talked about. On the other hand, we might forget that Jesus has done all this for us and God gave all of it to us. And and what happens when Christians do that? It's probably nobody in this room, but you might know of another Christian somewhere in your life who has been a little bit more holier than thou, a little bit prideful, a little bit boastful. If we really understand what happened here at the cross and what Jesus has done for us, the very next thing Paul says if we kept going in Romans is no boasting. You haven't done anything. You have nothing to boast about. This should make us the most humble people. This should make us the most gentle people with others. This should make us the most gracious people. And this should make us the most loving and and joyful people. That it's not based on us and what we do. It's what he's done. And we get to share that with anybody and everybody in our lives because he's already done it for us. So remember that Jesus has already secured it. And hopefully that will keep us a little more humble today and tomorrow and the next day. So we remember personally, we also remember together. And Jesus gave us a very specific way to remember together. We call that the Lord's Supper. We're going to take that in just a few minutes uh, together. So uh, as we take that, just, just consider, just think about resting in that right standing, remembering that Jesus is the one who secured it for us. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a disciple or follower of Jesus, uh, the Lord's Supper, it, it's for everyone who is trusted in Christ. So if you're not at that place right now, that's okay. We're so glad you're here. Uh, we don't mean to exclude you. It just wouldn't make sense for you to participate because you haven't put your trust in what this is causing us uh, to remember. So we, we're so glad you're here. Um, we would just invite you to, to remain seated and, and, and contemplate the truths that we're proclaiming by taking the bread and taking the cup. Um, if, you're, if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is our prayer for you. Our prayer for you is that you would recognize the situation that you're in, the desperate and, and, the, and the hopeless situation that you're in. And that's not anything about any one of us being better than you, being more superior. We just talked about this. This, this makes us humble, or at least it should. And so we're not any better than you. Uh, apart from Christ and the gift of righteousness that, that he offers, we're all in the same condition. But now, God has done something, and through Jesus, he's made it possible for your sins, just as our sins, to be forgiven and for you to receive that gift of righteousness. So what do you need to do? You need to turn and you need to trust. It's really just just one thing. You're turning away from your sin. The Bible calls that repentance. And you're trusting in Jesus. The Bible calls that faith. So you're turning from from your way of doing things, from your way of doing life, from your sin, from, from your own morality, your own code. You're turning away from all those things and you're trusting in Jesus and what he has done on the cross 
to pay for your sins and that he can give you that righteousness that God requires as a gift that just comes through faith. So if you want to talk to someone about this, we'd love to do that. If you were invited by a friend, uh, that person would love to share more about what it means to have a relationship with God uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, if you didn't come with someone, there will be a few people at the front, uh, right up here at the end of the service, and they would love to talk with you, uh, to pray with you, answer any questions you have. Um, and so give us the opportunity to do that. So as we take the Lord's Supper, consider if you're ready to take that faith step and as, as we um, celebrate that together. So would you pray with me? And then we'll move into the time of the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, we just, we cannot even get our minds hardly around what you've done for us. Uh, we thank you for laying it out clearly in, in many places in your word and giving us uh, four accounts of the story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where we can see what Jesus has done. And I pray for each of us in this room, whether we've walked with you for some time, whether we're new walking with you, or, or whether we're not ready to, to, to take that, that step of faith with you, would you meet each of us where we are and remind us and just press these truths into, a, into our hearts and our minds that we'd be ready to, to, to turn away from sin and turn toward you for the first time or for the 500th time and trust in what you've done for us and rest in what you offer. We pray this in Christ's name.